Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks so much for being here. Again, streaming live now, simulcasting on the first TV. It's on all your streaming platforms, your Roku, Pluto, Distro, all that. Also, DirecTV Channel 347. And you can watch directly on the internet, thefirsttv.com. And the First TV app, really great app. It's me, Dana Lash, Bill O'Reilly, Jesse Kelly, Sean Spicer. It's a great group. And now we're simulcasting the last two hours of, of uh, the show, the SiriusXM show. On the first, pretty cool. Uh, it's the first week that we're doing that. So um, we talked at 7 o'clock with a man who's argued seven times in front of the Supreme Court, which is pretty cool. And we talked about Article 14, Clause 3. And it's so it was so clear why Trump should not be removed from the ballot. It was almost laughable. Read Article, um, the 14th Amendment, Clause 3, and it doesn't say the word president. The people who drafted the 14th Amendment intentionally took the president out of clause three. It was there and they took it out. So even if Trump did, or even if someone, anyone, but even if Trump did lead an insurrection, which of course January 6th was, but even if he did, he could still be eligible to run for president again because that's the, the word president is not in that amendment. It says electors to the president, but not the president himself. So he filed one of the briefs uh, in support of, of Trump in that regard. So it was great to talk to him and just it's great to read the Constitution uh, word, you know, every word and define the words and go back to the intent and all that. It's always fun to do that. So we did that at seven. Um, and then we talked to AWR about the Uvalde report. And that's what we're going to play for you coming up in just a minute. But first, uh, we'll play the first segment of the third hour. We talked about work ethic. Uh, it's a conversation we have from time to time on this show. Just a good reminder uh, about life and gratitude and and really how we can do better in raising our, our next generation these gen z's maybe it's maybe they need to learn it now on their own but we have other generations of kids that we can do better with we'll do that next to nick who's in tennessee we were just talking about a greek word and nick here says he's greek how you doing nick good how are you sir real good man what's on your mind well it's uh twofold points i guess i'll give you a little bit of background on myself i was originally born in greece moved to the u.s when i was like two and a half months old grew up in new york was a cop there for about 10 years before i had to retire moved down to texas and i'm back in the police academy now but well so there's there's twofold to it. Besides the Greek aspect, um, as a cop, and now trying to go back to an academy here and become a cop again, those guys in Uvalde should have gone in right off the bat. But when I heard you talking about the Greek word, it kind of called to me. I said, oh, my God, Mike's telling me to call right now <laughs> because I speak Greek fluently. When you said malakos, yes, the, <clears throat> the modern meaning for malakos means soft. But we also have a very crass term in modern Greek. We call somebody a malaka. That means you're a jerk-off. And I think the point of soft and a jerk-off kind of, <laughs> and excuse my language for saying it on the air, but it kind of applies both ways. And so when I heard you talk yes. about it, I said, oh, my God, Mike's telling me to call right now. Oh, that is so, that is, Nick, you are the expert on this term more than anyone else in the, <laughs> in the country. I love it. Like, seriously, like you are, you're the perfect caller for this topic. It's unbelievable. Uh, not only the Greek, but also the police. I want to get back to that word, but let's go to the police for a second. So we were just talking about the uh, Uvalde police report and 
uh, came out by the DOJ, 600 pages, 260 interviews, whole thing. And it's everything we knew up front. Like we, we were right about uh, our initial assessment about like, whoa, what do you mean you didn't go in? But here's, here's that line, uh, Nick, from the report. Uh, it says you must immediately neutralize the subject. Everything else, including officer safety, is subordinate to that objective. That's pretty unbelievable, Nick. And you're that person. Or are, are you that person? Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we did uh, active shooter training when I was a cop in New York. I assume I'll be undergoing that when I'm going back to the academy. Uh, <clears throat> essentially, since Columbine, I kind of kept in touch with the training and the protocols when I retired out of New York. You go in. It doesn't matter what happens to you, and especially when you're talking about little kids or younger kids. They're waiting for you, the, the white knight, to come in here and save them. They're expecting there's a cop coming through the door any minute to save me. And unfortunately, that didn't happen in Uvalde. So, to, you know, you got to imagine you get into the head of those poor kids. They were sitting there waiting, and that, that white knight didn't come through the door. That cop didn't come through the door to save the day. Whereas in, in we saw in, I guess it was Tennessee, correct? Mm -hmm. um, they came through the door. And it was basically textbook, you know, as good as it can get, minus, you know, people still ended up dying, but it wasn't as bad as Uvalde was because they followed that protocol. If you're not willing, <clears throat> and I mean, we take that oath when we, when we get sworn in, you know, for me, it was kind of two swearing in when I got hired. And then when I finished the academy and I got my gun and shield, we got sworn in. And that oath is I'm going to lay down my life if I have to, you know. To, to think about what those kids had to go through, like that, that savior's not coming through. It pisses me off, you know, and, and I hate to say it, but from the moment we saw that story unfolding in Uvalde and being in Texas as well, it's like, I knew they messed up. I didn't need Merrick Garland and an FBI report to tell me they messed up. You know, yeah. I hate second guessing people, but that's the reality. No, 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 no. We that's knew our... They messed up. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we don't want to second guess. Again, it's, it's, we're talking about it. It's easy for me to say, uh, but but it's still true. Um, but, but Nick, you got your own family. Aren't you yeah, thinking about that when I, you're going in? Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime something like this happens, I think I, I, I'm thinking about it constantly now, especially not trying to go back because specifically I want to focus on going to work for an ISD or, or a college campus or something. I think about what would my kids feel? You know, they, I think they would think that, you know, my dad was a cop and he's trying to be a cop again. They're expecting me to come through the door. Mm -hmm. I want every cop worldwide thinking about this and, and maybe perhaps listening to this program that think about what it feels like if your kid was in, in that situation. I don't care if I die. I need to save somebody. You know, I'll go through that door. I'll take, the, even if it means the cop behind me takes the guy out, I will engage that shooter as soon as I can. I don't care if I'm wet my pants. I, I need to keep him distracted or her distracted long enough for somebody else to stop them if it means I'm going to end up dead whatever it takes to stop that person killing more or hopefully killing anybody. Incredible. You're the man, Nick. What, what's the, what's the opposite in Greek of Malikos or Malikos? Um, you can say, uh, something like Yeros is strong or, um, <clears throat> God, there's quite a few different variations of it, but yeah, usually Yeros is, is strong or, uh, Yeneos is like brave. Hmm something to that effect i guess you know yeah, it'd be, it'd be... <clears throat> or skleros which is really the direct in terms of like say you're talking about a soft object versus a hard object yes you know skleros 
And, you know, my parents would say stuff like that to me. You must be, you know, you must be strong, you know, like, like hard as a rock, essentially. Yes. Yeah, this is cool. Nick, you have a, uh, like, you're like a, a Greek with a New York and Texas drawl kind of thing. Like, that's, you have like your own, like, you got to get a little more Texas twang with your New York and your Greek. <laughs> That'd be beautiful. Yeah, like, I, I would, but I feel like that's, in, in, like, a little disingenuous. Like, I hear y'all down here a lot, and I'm like, uh. Nah, embrace the culture. You're in. I don't want to sound like. <laughs> No, no, no. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's appreciated. I think, I think yeah. Southerners like it. It's, it's a good cultural appropriation. You won't be, uh, you won't be excluded. You're one of the good guys. Funny enough, <laughs> a lot of people tell me, oh, you don't sound like you have an accent. I say, well, I guess you haven't heard me fired up. And so on a topic like this, the New York comes out. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, the man. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for being one of those heroes. No question. No doubt. That makes So to go back to your Malakos point, um, it makes perfect sense that, that it means like jerk today or it's like, a, like it's like a slang for jerk because softness, right? There's like physical softness, but then there's also moral softness. And I would say like a moral softness would be a selfishness or a, a narcissism. And if you're a narcissist, you only think about yourself. And if you only think about yourself, you're a jerk. So it makes perfect sense why that word Malakos would evolve in that sort of way. And just let me one last point, then I want to get to work ethic stuff, which actually ties in pretty good too. Um, this joining the military, seventy-seven percent of people in this country, seventy-seven percent of uh, seventeen to twenty-four-year-olds are ineligible to join the military. Ineligible. Seventy-seven percent are ineligible. That was a report from a couple of years ago. Maybe worse. I'm sure it is. Whether it's obesity, or taking medication, drugs, soft. 77% are so soft, so weak, they're not even eligible to join. And then among those who are eligible, meaning you're just not obese and you don't have tattoos on your face, what percentage of that group would even want to join the military? Because it is hard. Who would sign up for that? And we've had, well, it used to be a lot of people. <laughs> uh, it used to be something that was valued. Not anymore, not in our culture. So when I say who would sign up for that, I mean like in today's culture, who would sign up for that? I lament that. Masculinity has been actively attacked. It's been maligned by every aspect of our society. What do we think would happen when we let the feminists attack masculinity? And the only hope I have for masculinity, and this is like, I'm grasping here. This is the, you know, I'm not thrilled with this. I'm not, I'm not resting on these laurels here. This is the only glimmer that i can have and this i know this sounds so it's the best i got i can't i have no other hope other than this the reason i have hope in masculinity making a return to our culture oh hear out this is the let me just focus on one ah, let me focus on one the other one's a little more controversial i suppose uh is how many boys play video games now the video games make you weak the video games will make you weak and weaker by definition like you are literally just sitting there doing nothing so you are getting weaker when you play video games there's no other way around it oh but it improves eye hand coordination quiet you're you're pathetic right but the desire the thing that's in boys that would want that that makes a video game attractive 
is masculinity. So that's still there. So what is it about a video game? You kill people, you fight the bad guys, you rescue the princess, you get the high score, you talk trash to your friends, you compete, you accomplish. There are, are quests, there are feats you have to write. Now it's not real, it's all fake. But those things appeal to what is naturally inherent in man. I like it's horrible that so many people play video games. So many men play video games. Horrific. But what's worse is if is is would be if jump shot like like there's okay, so like the ideal is no men play video games because they're out doing like important they're like building real life things. What's bad is men playing video games. What's even worse is men not even playing video games because they don't even have that natural desire in them anymore to even rescue the princess, even in a fake video game way. You with, you with me what I'm saying here? So at least there is this natural, like, the, the rise of video games are not the rise, the, the uh, proliferation, that's not even it. The, like how many people are playing video games is proof that these, these instincts, these urges are inside of men. We just need to harness them and channel them into real life. <laughs> these, these masculine urges, we need to channel to real life and for good. But you can't because we tell boys to be more in touch with their feminine side. And they just get softer and softer and softer until they get to the point where like accomplishing something even in a video game won't even like scratch that itch that every man has. I think it's actually, uh, Nick, thanks for the call, brother. Uh, Malakos, M-A-L-A-K-H-O-S, I think is how you spell that word, Malakos. Um, oh, I wonder if anyone's going to call in and tell me the benefits of video games. I guess you can if you want. 866-95-PAGER. Um, I wanted to talk about work ethic. It's actually a pretty good tie-in here. This is a video of a Gen Z gal in a it looks like a Walmart uniform in her car complaining to her phone, which is a funny thing that people do these days. You complain to your phone and then post it for people, but whatever. So Gen Z, born from 1997 to 2012, so it makes them between 12 and 27. 12 and 27 is Gen Z. Seems like a pretty wide range, but... So here's a uh, someone, Gen Z, complaining about uh, you. I cannot stand how the news has been dogging Gen Z. Hold on. I always put thing at 2x. Everything's too slow. <laughs> so I put it at 2x, forgot to slow it down. Here it is. I cannot stand how the news has been dogging Gen Z and calling them lazy for not wanting to work a 9 to 5 for the rest of their lives. Let me put it in perspective for everybody who's a little confused here, okay? I work five days out of the week, 40 hours a week, okay? I do not make enough to live on my own. I would not make enough to pay rent, water, electric, and eat all by myself. I would not be capable of doing that. 20 years ago when you were getting started, you could live on your own. 20 years ago when you first started, you were able to do everything that I am now struggling to do. Let me add another perspective here. You've been working for 20 years. You have 20 years of working experience behind your belt. You have 20 years of experience in a career that has allowed you to gain raises, to get more money, to profit you in an economy that you created. You can sit here and you can call Gen Z lazy all you want, but I've been working my tail end off just to barely make it by. And respectfully, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. I don't want to work my tail end off, wasting all of my life working just to barely be able to pay my bills. 
And that is what you created, not Gen Z. We're just here getting started. You've been doing it for the last 20 years. You tell me how it got ruined. We can sit here and we can call Gen Z lazy all you want, but you let the economy turn into what it did. You let it all run to hell. And now it's Gen Z's fault because we don't want to work to fix your mistakes. There you go. Uh, sounds like this young lady should get married. Uh, I'm not upset at her at all. I think she's sassy. I like her. Uh, so a couple things. First, not everyone's cut out for a nine to five. She's complaining about working hard for, for a nine to five job at Walmart. Not everyone's cut out for that. And I'm just, I'm not being sexist. More women are not cut out for it, which is fine. You, there's lots of jobs that are not nine to five and that's good too. There's more jobs that are more creative or something and that aren't a nine to five. And, but that has its own stressors too. You may be suited for that. Some people aren't suited for that. There's different jobs, for different people. Um, she talks about age here, right? The main reason for the income and wealth inequality that exists in our country, one of the main reasons for it is age. It's, there's, it's, people talk about a race income gap. This is so fast. This is a Thomas Sowell analysis, obviously. If you're watching the TV, is it from Vision of the Anointed? Which is right to my right? Might be. Um, it's, so people talk about the uh, race income gap. It's not. It's a generational income gap. The average age of a Japanese American is 20 years older than a Puerto Rican. So even if everything else was the exact same between Japanese Americans and Puerto Ricans, if everything was the same except for age, the Japanese Americans would be making more money just on account of having worked longer and you make more money over time. The median age for a white person in America is 44. The median age for all of the minorities is 31. So you say, oh, white people make more than minorities. Well, part of, a major part of that is just the average age is 13 years older. So it'll look like on paper that white people make more money, but it's really just time. So this girl doesn't make a lot of money, but it's mostly because she's young. You just got to keep at it. Keep at it, keep working, and uh, you will. You'll, I mean, right now you're working at Walmart. I don't know what you're doing at Walmart, but just keep going. In 13 years, if you keep doing that, you'll be whatever, assistant manager, whatever, and you'll work your way up, baby, Hope you know, if you do the right things. And then uh, you'll be making more money and you won't have to worry about it. I mean, whatever, right? Like that's how that works. But I think one thing that's tricky for Gen Z, and this is, this is tough, is I bet her parents have a nicer house. And I think kids think that when they graduate college, they should have a nice house right away. Like I should, I, they think like a, a young person thinks as soon as they graduate, as soon as they leave the house, that they should have the same house. And you're like, oh, well, that's, it took a long time for your parents to get that house. The other day we played the clip from, I uh, played a couple clips from Nate Bergazzi's special. It's on Amazon. Hello world. It's great. And uh, do we play the clip about birth order? I think, we, yeah, I think we played a clip about birth order. And there's another bit. Uh, he's talking about uh, firstborn. And he says, he says, we firstborns, we got to stick together. We got, we got it the hardest out of all the children. Our parents were not ready for us. They didn't have any money. And we got here and we, we thought, I, I don't think I should even be here yet. And then the youngest shows up and your parents are trillionaires. And you live in homes that the oldest never even saw. What's an upstairs? That's like a home on top of a home. And he goes on and talks about how his parent, his, his sister was born 10 years, sister's 10 years younger. And she apparently was raised by her best friends. So, so this girl, she's just young and she needs to be poor for a while. That's what you are when you're young. My first radio job, 
was in Jackson, Tennessee. Listen, not, there's no woe is me here, but uh, it's just the reality. My, my first radio job was uh, Jackson, Tennessee. I made $22,000 a year. I think it was $22,500 a year. And I qualified for the state children's health insurance program. <laughs> I qualified for the state children's health insurance welfare program when I first moved to Tennessee. I did live on my own, but you may need to have a roommate. Got to make a friend, shack up, shack up with your buddy. And that can either be super fun or terrible as well. And you may not eat good, but whatever, you're young. And then you get older and you can buy a $45 Stanley water bottle, <laughs> as we talked about the other day. We were, we were doing a riff on Stanley's. Someone emailed me and they said, uh, they said, we got a Stanley. We tell the kids it's mom's favorite cup and she works very hard and deserves whatever cup she wants. Work hard and you can have nice cups too. So Gen Z, don't give up. Keep working. Make yourself indispensable to the boss. Like the, the Walmart, the manager at Walmart couldn't imagine running the store without you. If you leave, the, the manager's job is going to be so much harder. Keep working. Don't burn bridges. And uh, if something is broken in the economy, find out which part of the government screwed it up and vote for conservatives. I don't know what else you want me to say, lady. 866-95-PAGE. We'll go to Robert, who's in South Carolina. What's going on, Robert? How are you doing today? Doing real good. What's on your mind? I just got to disagree with you a little bit on this whole video, video game thing. <clears throat> and I'm, that's coming from a retired Army infantry officer. I don't think there's any difference between a father playing video games, let's say, with his children for two hours or watching a movie, let's say, Transformers. <clears throat> as long as you supplement that with ac exercise and activity outside. But whether it's reading a book, a fantasy book, or a Stephen King novel, playing a video game or a movie, as long as you're doing it with your family, it's really the same thing. It doesn't make them weak. As a matter of fact, family-wise, if you do it with your family, it brings you closer together. Um, <clears throat> eh. I uh, think of a two-and-a-half-hour movie or playing a video game for two hours. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're debating the merits between two okay things then that's, I guess that's okay. I think video games, you're more disconnected. Listen, I'm a former video game addict. All right, that's my, that's my authority on this subject. Um, a video game, you're more disconnected from the things around you than you are in a movie. Uh, no, when you watch a movie, you're, you're there, you're watching it. But when you're involved in a video game, you are in it. You are in it to the point, and everyone's seen kids playing video games. You can be walking around, you can be standing in front of them, you hello. Hello, hello. Like, it's not like that with movies. Like, someone's watching a movie. You can be like, hey, uh, hey, Johnny. Uh, and they can, like, answer you. Video games, you are transfixed in, I think, a more potent uh, way. So I, I don't think that's a – I don't know if that's even true, if they're both equal. But also, those are both, like, not great things. Not that much in movies, right? I don't know. Like, doing something else. There's other, there's other better things to even be doing. You know, but I'm not even talking about that. I, I, let's not even debate like you playing with your son. Like, okay, fine. Male bonding, whatever. Um, what about the kid who's playing video games for six hours a day at night by himself up in his room? That's different. That's what I'm talking about. Clearly, that's what I was talking about. Um, so we're, we're all on the same page that that's no good. May I just make one more comment about your uh, this young female? Yeah. What I don't think she understands is suffering is part of success. 
And she looks at it that I'm working this 40-hour week and I'm not making a lot as suffering is making her weak and unhappy. She needs to work a second job like everyone she talked about 20 years ago. We all work second jobs, sometimes three jobs, dishwashing, washing costs on weekends, and a garbage man. So they, they think that they have this entitlement to success when it's just work harder. Suck up that, 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 that suffering. Yes, yeah, so you're saying she thinks the suffering is making her weaker, and you're saying the suffering is making you stronger. If you 100%. decide to. I guess it could do either. Robert, I appreciate the call. Thank you, brother. Um, it could, it's, I guess it could do either one. It's whichever you let it. <laughs> could make you weaker. But if you decide to make it stronger, you could do that too. Go to Chuck, Massachusetts. Go on, Chuck. How are you? Well, you're, I'm good. Um, your last caller is right on the money. I mean, literally, I remember my first job. I was working in a supermarket. Uh, um, store manager told me if I worked hard, I could come back to him in a few months and ask for a raise. I worked my ass off, came back, asked for a raise. And he said, Chuck, my boy, you don't want more money. You want more hours. <laughs> he was right. Okay. He was completely right. More hours. You got to work and work and work. You got to do second jobs, third jobs. You got to do everything. And these kids, they just think they should come out of uh, college and they should uh, make $100,000 a year. It's, it's not realistic. She said something okay? in there, Chuck. Do... She said something like, I don't just want to work all my life. And then she spoke to your point. <laughs> I don't want to work 12-hour days. Yeah, I don't either. But, you know, that's what I have to do to uh, earn a living and have a comfortable living now. Yeah. You know, they think that, uh, you know, you should just be able to go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and get your, uh, you know, breakfast there every morning. And, you know, that's, that's what their life is all about. You know, have the Stanley Cup and, uh, uh, you know, life is good for them. But you got to get that for the Instagram. That's all for the gram. No, for real. No, you're not joking. <laughs> Chuck, I appreciate the call. Thank you, brother. Yeah. So, again, that ties into the, the idea of like parents. Like it's tricky. Like parents are... It's a broad brush, right? But if your parents are doing well, right? If they've worked super hard their whole life and they're doing well and they had you a little later in life where they're making even more money, then uh, yeah, you do get, you do go out to breakfast a lot or whatever. I remember my, my parents would tell me they never went out to eat ever. It's like, like um, they went out to eat like on their birthday. And we take the kids out like a lot. I don't know, like a good amount of time, I guess. Um, I like fancy restaurants all the time, but you know, we take it out to eat. But like my mom never went out to eat. <laughs> she like tells that. I love how the Stanley Cup has become a metaphor for just like profligate waste. <laughs> and I, I, we did a whole thing on it a couple of days ago in the six o'clock hour, and uh, a lot of people got on me to it. So I was hesitant to, but I'm glad you brought it up, Chuck. Um, I also cannot understand people paying money for like a for a lunch out or breakfast. You know, like like um, you work. So you work at a job, minimum wage, whatever your minimum wage is, wherever you are, it's $12 an hour. And then you <clears throat> buy your lunch that costs $15. And you're like, well, you just worked an hour for that lunch. Like that doesn't, doesn't work at all. You gotta make, you gotta bring your lunch. But who am I to say? Katrina is in Ohio. Katrina, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm great. Thanks so much, Mike, for taking my call. My I pleasure. just have an example of the video game thing with my son Danny um he how old your son really good how old well he's tw he's 25 now but when he was 14 we never let him have the video games but grandpa bought him an 
Xbox. So I'm like, okay, you know, so I did the Xbox Live and and he was good. He was doing these YouTube videos and he was all into it. And one day I'm like, Danny, you've been on that thing like four hours. Like, get off. And he said, no, I can't. I can't. I have to get to the next level. I'm like, no, no, you don't. It's a game. Like, you're done. Mm. And so that was it. I took it away. And it was the best thing I did because now he and a lot of his friends were so into the video games. And now he, I've talked to you before, he's the wilderness ranger. So, uh, you know, now. Opposite of a video game. Night, pardon me? He's doing the opposite of a video game. He's, oh, yeah. He doesn't like social media. He's hardly on his phone. He's like literally wears a 90-pound pack and cuts trails up mountains with primitive tools. Yes. Like he could, you know. <laughs> It was the very best thing that I could have ever done for him. And then with that girl that was talking, okay, I'm 60. Okay, I was a single mom. I worked two jobs. Like, nothing was easy my whole life. I still, I'm the one that drives Amish. I get up at 4 in the morning. We have a snowstorm today. And I'm driving, like, 15 hours a day. (laughs) So, you know, no, life is not always easy. But you do what you have to do. And that just cracked me up. I'm working 40 hours like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) You don't understand, she says. You boomers, you don't understand what it's like. (laughs) You don't seem to to buy it. Um, Real quick on the video game thing. Do you really believe that you taking away that video game put your son's life on a different trajectory? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. He would not be, I mean, yes, he would not be the person that he is now if I would not have taken those away. I absolutely believe that. Yeah. Katrina, you're awesome. Yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for doing that. I, um, I'm willing to do a little, a little crusade against video games as a, a former addict. The uh, video games mess with your soul in a, in, in a much more profound way than, than a movie does. They're just, they're, they're different. And listen, last point on this, and we'll take a break. Oh, and I want to go to Russ. Russ, if you can hang on. Uh, no, let me just take Russ quick. Well, let me say this point. So uh, we can do this more detail another day. But a long time ago, they used to build houses with big front yards. This was the architectural design of neighborhoods. They big front yards. So then you go outside and everyone in the community is together in the front yard. Then we started to build houses with backyards where everyone would play individually with their families in the backyard together, which is less neighborly. Then we started to design houses with the living room facing the wall. So we leave a big open wall and that's where you put the TV. The TV goes on the wall and we design layouts of houses where the TV goes. So now we're sitting side by side with each other. All right, so there was, we were in the front yard playing with everyone. Then we're in the backyard playing with our family. Now we're sitting on the couch facing a wall, shoulder to shoulder. Now we do, uh, everyone's got a screen in their own room. So now everyone in the family is separated with their own screen in their own room, not even together. So if you want to say, well, you know, at least when we're playing video games together, we're shoulder to shoulder again. You're like, sure. But how about we go play for real with the ball? Like when you play catch, you're facing each other, looking at each other, talking to each other. That's profoundly different than sitting side by side, uh, whether it's a movie or uh, way worse is the, is the video game, if I may. All right, I got to go to Russ because Russ is busy and uh, he's got work to do. Russ, how you doing, sir? Not too bad, Mike. Good to talk to you again. And to you. I, I, um, I, would, li- I would like that uh, girl to just remember one date. 
That date is August 13, 1998. I'm a farmer. That's the last time I had a day off. And not only do I spend every day working on my farm, because I rent my farm from the state of New York and my taxes are so exorbitant, I have to work another job. So I work five days a week, four in the morning till noon, taking care of boiler systems. And then I go home and I work from about one o'clock in the afternoon till dark, seven days a week, taking care of my farm so that people like her have food. That's unbelievable. What, what, what do you farm? Beef. Why? I've got a... If it's, if it's, if it's, so, if it's so unlucrative, you have to get two jobs. Why do you keep doing it? Because I wanted something and I have a legacy. I've earned 400 acres of land and I've worked every day and I own it free and clear me. I own 70 head of cattle free and clear me. That's the other problem with this generation is they don't understand the difference between having and owning. They look and, oh, this person has a fancy phone and a fancy car and a fancy this, and they're one paycheck away from losing it all. I've worked. So all these things, when I look out my window at my 400 acres, they're mine. I owned them. And to contrarily go against Obama, I built that. <laughs> Where's your farm? What do you, what town? Um, Canton, Lisbon, direct up from where you grew up. I'm right straight up 81 from where you grew up. Yeah, I don't know Lisbon. Lisbon, New York? I'm looking it up right yep. here. Lisbon, New York. Give me another town. It's not even, literally not even popping up on my on Google. What's, what's another town? <laughs> uh, Canton. C-A-N? C-A-N-T-O-N. It's literally not. Oh, here, right, here's, okay, here's something. Oh you're, oh, you're way north. Oh, you're at like the I'm, top. I'm on, you're, the, I'm on the St. Lawrence River. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're almost in Canada. Gosh, that is... People don't know how beautiful New York is. Everyone thinks it's New York City. New York is a stunningly beautiful state. And uh, the more north oh. you go up there, that's as good as it gets. Oh, it, 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 in 25 minutes, I can be in the mountains, snowmobiling, trout fishing, do whatever if I had a day off. Or, you know, in, in an hour and a half, I can be in Montreal in 45 minutes. I can be in Ottawa. I've got the Great Lakes. I've got everything right here. And that's, you know, it's my slice of heaven. And I don't care how hard I have to work to keep it. I earned it. And it, it's, it's my pride. I've bonded with the animals in the land. And, you know, you're, you're going to have to carry me off of it. It's my <laughs> legacy. And it's my paradise that I've earned. You're living the life, Ross. Thanks for taking time to call in, brother. Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. I want to go right to the great AWR Hawkins about the Uvalde report. AWR Hawkins is here. AWR, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Mike. Good to be with you. What have we learned from this report, sir? Well, I don't know that we learned as much as we just had what we thought was true. Uh, we just had that verified. But these uh, police response was disastrous. Since, you know, since Columbine, and that's 1999, since Columbine, uh, the, the standing policy, basically the assumed policy has been that 
on an active shooter, you go in immediately. You take him out, period. That's it. You go in, you take him out. And uh, in this situation, police treated this as a barricade, you know, a, a barricaded suspect situation rather than an active shooter situation. And what that means is roughly, roughly 77 minutes passed. That's a long time, Mike. Wow. That's a long time. If you're the only person with a gun, I don't care if it's whether you have an AR-15 or a, a 38 revolver in a pocket full of bullets. 77 minutes is a long time, and that's what this guy had. Mm. No, it's very easy, AWR, for me to sit back here and be like, oh, you should have gone in faster. Um, what do you right. say to that? Well, you should have, though. They should have. It's, <laughs> it's policy. It's just standing policy. It's not, uh, you know, someone's like, well, what would you have done? It's not, it doesn't matter what I would have done. I'm not on, I'm not a policeman. I'm not on a SWAT team. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not a traffic officer. I'm none of those things. But if you are one of those things, part of your duty is to go straight in and you train for it. And, uh, you know, I have a good friend who is a, he's over a town that I live close to and, He's told me time and again, we've been together when news is broken or whatever of a shooting, and he'll go, you know what? I goes, I've already told my wife that uh, I, I just have to risk my life, and I may not make it, but I have to go straight in. And it's just a matter of fact for him. He, he'll he tell me, he'll go, I, I can't wait, Hawkins. He goes, I can't wait. You get there, you got to go straight in. That's the only chance those kids have. And uh, that's the mentality you've got to have as a police officer. The report says that, as you said, since Columbine, the protocol is to immediately neutralize the subject. And here's the sentence. Everything else, including officer safety, is subordinate to that objective. That's pretty wild. Right. right? It is wild. And, and, but that's another reason why I'll have people come time to time say, I can't understand why you support the police so 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 blindly. They do now tell me all the things the police do wrong. These are the moments you have to reflect on and go, no, these guys these guys have signed up for a job, part of which includes doing what my friend does and saying, look, if there's a shooting, my life doesn't matter. I gotta go straight in and I may not make it home, but that's what I gotta do. That's my job. That's why I back the blue. That's why we all need to back the blue. And these folks, now these folks in Uvalde blew it. The officers in Uvalde blew it. But, uh, you know, uh, an exception doesn't overthrow the rule. An exception proves the rule. And that's mm -hmm. what we have to keep in mind. Yeah, I'm having a flashback here to the body camera footage of the police who responded to the Nashville uh, right. murdering. And, gosh, I just remember being... It's, I, I, it's a loss that these men it's calmly, swiftly pulled up, got out of the car, grabbed the gun, went in, executed the mission perfectly. <laughs> Boom shot, got her, him, whatever. Uh, just uh, remarkable. And that, that's the standard. And it happens all the time. We, just, we don't hear about them all the time. Uh, but it sure did not in, in Uvalde, to your point. Well, and only a month before that, in Louisville, Kentucky, the same situation where the the uh, little punk kid, I think he was uh, in his mid-20s, opened fire at a bank. Same situation. Police went right after it, took him out. And uh, 
Why do they um, not? Again, we can point to that because that's what they do, and that's why I back them. And uh, I'm amazed by their courage. It do we know why they in Uvalde? The, the Uvalde police didn't get it done. Do we know why they didn't? I don't. I mean, I know a lot of people quit their jobs after Uvalde. That's usually telltale, but uh, I don't know why they didn't get it done, Mike. Uh, it's just a shame. You got 19 people. 19 students dead, two teachers dead. And it's like Mayor uh, Garland said, and whoever dreamed, I would agree with Mayor Garland for anything. But, you know, he he said some of these people may be alive if the right action had been taken. And he's right. I hate to say it, but he is right. I wonder how many of those officers resigned in shame. I don't know how you go on. Um, There's a lot, lot to be said about leadership, lack of leadership, even like lack of who's in charge here. What do you make of that? It's, you know, like, oh, I, I didn't even know a, I was the was guy a, <laughs> to make the orders. That was an ugly situation. I remember that coming out early, Mike, where, oh, I'm not in charge. Who's in charge? Or I'm waiting for whoever's in charge to get on scene. I'm not in charge. Are you in charge? You're on scene now. Oh, I'm not in charge. Are you in charge? And uh, uh, that was an ugly situation. And then finally, we had a group of uh, Border Patrol agents uh, who went in there and got the job done. But, uh, mm. Mm. I mean, what a mess it was, Mike. If you think about what we're talking about, it almost sounds like we're making something up. It almost sounds like we're spinning a story, just making it up as we go because it it seems so out of touch with reality. But that's how it was. It was an ugly situation. Hopefully lessons learned and that never happens again. Uh, tell us about Pennsylvania House Democrats, what they did with their gun law. Oh, yeah. Well, what they're doing, they're advancing uh, assault weapons ban. Uh, They're advancing a bill that will uh, require you, uh, if you do 3D printed parts, that you'll have to uh, register those or serialize those. The same thing with any parts you have that lack a serial number and so on and so forth. There are three or four bills they're pushing. And... um, they're going to get this big push going, Mike, and it's going to seem like, holy cow, gun control is inevitable in Pennsylvania. And then everybody's going to wake up one day and go, wait, they'll never get this through the Senate. And everybody's going to go to McDonald's and get a sandwich and be happy because it's going to die right there. I got to cut you off. So AWR is Breitbart's Second Amendment guy, right? And I love talking to AWR for a lot of reasons. But your approach always to the Second Amendment laws is the most, I want to say lackadaisical, that's not quite the right word, but you're so not bothered by gung-ho efforts to even pass laws like the, like that, like the Senate did. They passed the law like through their ass. You're like never bothered by any gun control bills. Well, you got to understand, you got to understand, we know about this bill, of course, because I wrote on it, but also because Gabby Giffords and the other bunch, you know, they, uh, Chris Brown over at uh, Brady campaign, they all tweeted about it. That's why we know about it. See, they're all excited. They want their donors to go, see, we told you we would get gun control passed. And look, we got it through the Judiciary Committee in Pennsylvania, and it's going to go to the House floor. But they're not telling anybody. What I wrote in my thing is in the House, they're split 101 to 101, Democrat, Republican. So it may not make it all the way out of the House, but it's definitely when it hits the Senate, it's going to hit hard times. And so uh, 
I just that's why I lay back on it and I just laugh at these people. I'm like these <laughs> people have been re- they've been reduced to clapping when something passes a judiciary committee in a state where the legislature is split Republican Democrat. They've been reduced to that. And so that makes me very happy. And that's all I'm saying. It is it is a shame that you have Democrats who believe that the way to keep people safe is to ban law-abiding citizens from being armed. And that's what this boils down to. When you push an assault weapons ban, it does ban a whole category of firearms. So it is saying that we're going to keep you safe by keeping law-abiding citizens from having this particular gun. And that is a it's an ignorant approach. Uh, so it is frustrating in that way. But in the long run, I know that the odds are they're never, this is never going to see the light of day as far as being being the law of the land. And even if it did pass, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be handing in your guns anyway. So I think you'd still be pretty. No, no, pretty my guns, I keep, you know, I know I've told you, I always have an AR in the truck. I have a, a gray man tactical mole panel on the back seat of my passenger's uh, seat. And as I drive down the road, I have an AR with a suppressor on it and a 10 millimeter handgun both within reach and that way if it ever goes down when everybody else is trying to find a rock to hide behind i can take a defensive position and uh see if i can get some work done awr hawkins pride part news second amendment correspondent awr you demand appreciate you brother uh thank you mike always great, great to be with you buddy you too man i want to come up next and uh we've got a few minutes i want to talk about weakness thinking of these men who did not go into a vault. Again, easy for me to say. Yeah, totally. I'm American made. I got American parts. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. Now, many more ways to listen to the show. Of course, Sirius XM Patriot. You get the whole three hours. Uh, we give you two segments here on the podcast for free, and you can watch again on thefirsttv.com. Just got our first week of broadcast under our belt, thefirsttv.com, the first TV app, Direct TV Channel 347. And you can record the show. Record it, watch it back later. You heard an interview with Gorka when you were driving. Well, you got it recorded now. You can go back and hear it, for instance. And that's, uh, we're doing that every weekday morning from 7 to 9 in the morning now on thefirsttv.com. Apologize.